Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. This passage of scripture today is regarded by scholars as one of the most clear instances of Christology in the book of Matthew. And so those are some big words there. All that means is this is one of the best places we see Christ in Matthew. And we see who he is and what he has done. And he is showing himself in this passage as the only way that man can know and receive eternal life. I told it up. We've been preaching through the book of Matthew for about 15 months now, right? Uh, and I've been amazed at how God has timed where our passages land each week. Every week I sit down and I honestly, I'm humbled at how the Spirit is directing our time, how we're walking through this book, and I believe that this week is no different. So Lauren and I have had the privilege to be a part of the assessment team for Harbor Network. And so what that means is there are people who want to church plant and they contact Harbor and uh, they ask, you go through this process of of learning and, and figuring out their calling. And at the very end of the process, they fill out all this paperwork and there's all these things. But at the very end, they do what's called an assessment. And it's essentially an all-day interview to where they sit with different people, and we, we go through their paperwork. We go through how they've written down what their calling is. And, and again, Lauren and I, they've asked us to be a part of that team, and we've got to do it a couple times. And this past week, this Thursday and Friday, we were in Louisville being a part of the assessment team and, and sitting around and in that process. And I, I remember going through it. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of prayer. But what we do is we, we sort of take that day and we divide it up into different sections. And so we talk about head. What do we mean by that? Theology. How, what do you know about God? How, are, how do you understand his work in the Bible? And we talk about hands. How are you going to display that work to the community that you're planting in and heart and, and all these things? Well, in the head part... Again, it's mainly where we're dealing with the theology. They invite different pastors and different people into that process to kind of lead it. And so this past week, Dr. Jonathan Pennington is who they invited in to do the theology section. And he is a professor at Southern Seminary there in Louisville. I had him when I was going through seminary. Uh, he's an incredible New Testament scholar. And so it's sort of unnerving a little bit when you, you sit in the room, especially with someone who is that learned and has written that many books and is a professor and all of that, and he's the one asking you about theology. And, and so it, it is. It's kind of a, an interesting process. But here's what he did. And I know this is a long story, but I'm pointing you back to what I believe the Spirit's doing. He starts the theology process, and he tells the person, the, the, the guy who's there wanting to be assessed and, and plant, he said, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to start off, and I'm just going to give you a passage of Scripture, 
And I, you don't have any prep. You don't have any, you had no idea this was coming. I just want to hear from you what you would do with this, how you would possibly teach it, what are some points that you would, would make. And as he's sitting there, he said, let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. And my eyes like blew up. And, and it, it was sort of, uh, you know, he even stopped. He was like, what, what you going? I was like, Dr. Pennington, that's literally the text I'm preaching on Sunday. And so we laughed and we had a good time. And, and so the, the gentleman who was getting assessed, he gave some points. And then at the end, Dr. Pennington looks at me and he goes, okay, what you got? I was like, oh, here we go. Uh, I'm thankful that some of the things that he pointed out are some of the things that the Lord and the Spirit had already given me. There were some notes I took vigorously as he was talking, and I added those in as well. But I say that story just to say, like, some of you may go, oh, what a coincidence. I don't take that as a coincidence. I take that as just the, the sweetness of God going, you're on the right track. I got you where you need to be. And, and not only that, and I won't give the full details, but this week, someone in this room came up to me and said, hey, I got to tell you this story. And they talked about how they were at a whole different place. Actually, it was a funeral. And they said, hey, do you know what text they used for this funeral? And I was like, no. They were like, Jude 24. I was like, I've never been to a funeral where they used Jude, but they used Jude. And I just feel like that that's just the Lord going, look. We got you. You're doing this. And so I just, those little things matter. Those little things are encouraging. So share those with me. I would love to hear. Now, it's just great to see how the Spirit is just continuing to confirm and moving what we are doing. So let's look today at our passage and see how we can come to Jesus and how we can find true rest and again, we'll begin there in verses 25 through 27. And if you notice these first few verses, they're comprised of a prayer. So Jesus is actually praying to God the Father. And the first thing that I want us to see is this comparison of the two types of people that Jesus uses in this prayer. He uses the wise and intelligent, and then he uses infants. And Jesus specifically praises God saying, you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and you've re revealed them to infants. So I think the first thing we need to establish is what are these things? If you look back in the passage last week, you can remember that Jesus is addressing particular cities for ignoring or as we said, being indifferent to the preaching and the miracles that had been done among them. And so here we see Jesus praising God, saying he's praising him for hiding these things from the wise and the intelligent and then revealing them to the infants. What, is, what does he mean by that? What is he showing? This may be oversimplifying it, but I think this is what it's doing. He is showing that God is sovereign over all things. He is the one who opens the eyes of the unbelievers. He is the one who reveals himself to them so they can be saved. But why these two groups of people? Why the wise and intelligent and why the infants? Why is, he, is Jesus using these people in his prayer? So I think, and what I, I learned as I studied this week, that the wise and intelligent would categorize those who try to use their own ability to get to God. 
they would try to use their own knowledge or their own wisdom to be enough to rely on, and, and they become proud and puffed up. And Jesus says that God has hidden these things from them. It's this category of people that we believe, or that they believe, they can do enough good works to earn their way to heaven. It's this category of people who believe that they can be good, moral people, and that that will be their path to eternal life. It's this category of people that believe that, that being religious and doing all the religious things certainly paved the way for them to heaven. But Jesus is saying here not to be the wise and intelligent. That they are the ones who have not been given the saving grace. In fact, God has hidden these things from them. Now, it doesn't mean that if you are wise or intelligent, you can't have eternal life. Because all of us would be counted out, right? That was a freebie. Uh-huh. That, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying that those who trust in their own wisdom and do not trust Jesus will never have their eyes opened. One theologian said it this way. He said, whether religious or irreligious, the proud person will not submit to God's wisdom and truth and therefore excludes himself from the kingdom. The religious man who relies on tradition or good works to please God, look at this, is just as far from God as the atheist. But who has he revealed these things to? He says to infants. But why does Jesus use this imagery of infants? We've seen, it do, we've seen him do it other times, right? We've seen him use this imagery of little children in multiple places. If you look in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 16 and 17, the disciples and the people are bringing little children to, to Jesus, but the disciples are, are getting frustrated and think, well, this is getting in the way. They're, they're doing too much. We need to pull them back. And so what does Jesus say? He says, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs such as them. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I think it's important for us to see why Jesus is using this imagery of infants and children. And I think he does this because he wants to show us how he wants us to come to him. And that's needy like the infants. We spoke extensively about this in the early parts of Matthew chapter 5 when we were going through the Beatitudes. And we saw firsthand how we come to Jesus as needy people, as humble people, as meek, as ones who understand their position to a holy God, as ones who know they bring nothing of their own. We sang this, I think, a couple weeks ago when we sang Rock of Ages. Verse 3 says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. And he goes on to say, all for sin could not atone. Meaning all of these works cannot atone for my sin. Thou, meaning God, he must save. 
and he alone. That other verse we sing, nothing in my hands I bring, right? Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I fly, foul I to the fountain fly. What does it say? Wash me, Savior, or what? I die. We've been singing these hymns for centuries. It is God and God alone that saves. We don't just wake up one day and decide we're going to follow Jesus. It is by His grace that He opens our eyes and then we respond to His call. But unless He opens our eyes first, we will never cry out to Him. Let's drill down a little bit more on this imagery of an infant, okay? If you take an infant and lay an infant on the bed, that infant cannot meet its needs on his own. He becomes hungry. He cannot feed himself. She becomes restless. She cannot soothe herself. You might say, well, but what about like an infant sucking their thumb? Okay. They'd use that as a, as a way to try to self-soothe. They use that as a way to try to fix their, their problem, but does it fully work? It might for a moment. It, it might calm them down for a moment. But that infant, their needs cannot be fulfilled on their own. They can do nothing to save themselves. If that infant is left alone, it will surely die. But if someone comes and picks up that infant and gives them rest, gives them the sustenance that they need, gives them the food that they need, gives them the care that they need, they will live. Friends, we're the infants laying on the bed. And unless God comes and grabs us up and brings us to himself and cares for us, we would surely die. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to display for us here. We are the weak and feeble infants. We'll try to self-soothe. We'll try to make things right on our own. But unless he comes and picks us up, we will never be saved. And this is what Jesus is saying that we must understand, that we are the infants. And unless God reaches down and intervenes in our hearts, the scripture says that they will be remaining hearts of stone. Unless the Spirit of God awakens within us the understanding of our need for him, we will continue to be like those wise and intelligent ones that he says here, Continue to believe that we can do it ourselves and fully miss our need and reliance of him. Look what Jesus says in verse 26. 
Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. It was God's good pleasure to save mankind. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve one ounce of the grace of God. Once we turned our backs on him, once we sinned in the garden, there was absolutely no reason that he should offer to us a plan of salvation. He gave Adam and Eve everything that they needed, and yet they still believed the lies of Satan and turned their backs on him. And in turn, we too have turned our backs on God, and we've believed that we could do it on our own just like the wise and the intelligent. Yet still, he came after us. Yet still, he came after us and he gives us Jesus. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. He he didn't do it half-heartedly because of what verse 6 says. It was his good pleasure to rescue us and to save us. Verse 27, this is the pinnacle of of the Christology. This is the pinnacle pointing to Jesus. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. We've seen this happen in moments before, but this is Jesus using the words, my Father, And he is, again, putting himself in the place of deity. He is establishing that he and the Father are equal. By addressing the Father this way, he is clearly saying that he and God are one. And this is the crux of the gospel. Because if Jesus is not God then his death on the cross means nothing. If Jesus is not truly God, he is just a man who experienced death. But because Jesus is God, we can be forgiven. Because Jesus is God and went to the cross for us, we can be saved. Jesus here is saying he is the only way to the Father. The only way. No one comes to the Father but by me. We see him say this over and over and over. Jesus is the only way. No one can know the Father except through the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Human thinking and reasoning cannot grant us access to God. Because human reasoning and thinking is finite. It's limited. Humans in no way can produce within themselves the understanding of who God is. It must be revealed to them. Martin Luther of this passage said this. He said, here's where the bottoms fall out of all merit. 
Here's where the bottom falls out of all powers and abilities of reason or free will of men that they dream of. It all counts nothing before God because Christ must do and must give everything. And when this work is done in our hearts, we do have a response. And that response is to come to him. God is the one who opens our eyes and then we respond with that, with that revealing of himself and come to him. This is why Jesus said in John 6, 37, he said, all that the father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly never cast out. See, that is our assurance. That is our hope. That's how we know we will be kept to the end. Because we can't lose something that we didn't do within our own power. And so if it's up to us to maintain our salvation, we will surely lose it. But it is God who is the one who keeps us. It is God who is the one who has revealed himself to us. And it is God who has loved us enough to send Jesus for us. And when he reveals that love to us, then we respond. Because Jesus says, come to me. Verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This idea of weariness and burden sort of have the same understanding. We become weary when we continue to do something without any result or answer. We become weary when we continue to trust in our own abilities and our own wisdom for salvation. We keep trying to impress God with these good works. We, we continually fall short. And then this idea of being burdened. As we hear that word, it, it brings feelings of heaviness. When we are burdened, we're carrying a weight, a weight that we were never meant to carry on our own. And that's why Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And he promises to give us rest. There's only one way to know and to truly have rest. This is to know that the burden of your sins have been taken from you by Jesus. It's the only way we can have rest. To know that he has taken all of our burdens and we can stop all of our ways of trying to earn salvation on our own. When God gives us the understanding of his gift of salvation by the power of his sovereign grace, then we can truly rest in him, knowing that Jesus has accomplished this work for us. 
That is our only hope of truly having rest for our souls. Verse 29, he goes back to this imagery. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and then you will find rest for your souls. Again, this interesting image that he's using, Jesus is saying he gives us rest, but yet he presents us with this yoke. Now, how many know what a yoke is? There's a few. You, you, brought, you got one? I love it. John's always ready. Look at this. If someone would have just brought an infant up here when I was talking about that, we'd be two for two, but we, we, nobody wants to leave their baby up here with me. Uh, yeah, th- this, is very, this is a yoke. I got some pictures, but this does better. So this yoke is this single bar across the top, and it has these two hooks on the bottom. And what it does, as you can see in the picture, is it brings and tethers two animals together. So you have this continual bar across the top, and then it hooks in and loops, as you can see, to two different animals. Praise God, I can bend over. I couldn't do that four months ago. Um, so so what is this, what's the purpose of a yoke? Well, if, if a farmer is plowing a field, and instead of having control and having to try to figure out where two animals are going, are they going to be spooked by one and the other run in the, in the different direction? What it does is it brings two animals together and it keeps them at the same pace. It keeps them in the same direction. They would yoke them together and they would be able to fulfill their task. Now, you may also remember this term yoke. If you remember, Paul says and talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says that you shouldn't be unequally yoked. Well, what he's simply meaning there is that, that when you come together with someone in marriage, unequally yoked would be you guys need to be on the same page. And really what he's saying is that you should be marrying a believer. That two believers should come together because they're going to walk in the same path Towards Jesus. That's what he meant by saying, don't be unequally yoked. So why is Jesus using this example of a yoke here to provide rest? Well, what Jesus is saying is that when you are saved, you're tethered to me. Man, that's good news. He's saying your life is now tethered to his life. You are now connecting your life with his because what he has done is he has given you his life. And so let's be honest. If you had these two things put together and Jesus is on one side and you're on the other, you can clearly say, yeah, he's pulling all the weight. (laughs) He's doing all the work. He has done all the work for us. Yet we get to be tethered along. And we get to be connected and yoked together with his life. Now think about this. A yoke is not a passive tool. What do I mean by that? 
There is no need for me to yoke two animals together if they're just going to go sit and hang out at the barn. Right? You put a yoke on two animals because work needs to be done. Things need to be moving. So this juxtaposition that we're given by Jesus, rest and yet yoked. Rest, but yet still moving. Rest, but work continuing. How do those fit together? Jesus is showing us that when we are yoked with him, when he saves us and yokes us with him, that the intention is not to just remain in the barn. The intention is to continue to move. The intention is to continue to walk with him. The intention is for us to be pursuing holiness. That's what it means to live the Christian life, to be yoked together with Jesus, to be tethered to him. We're not sitting in the barn just waiting for him to come back. He's saying, no, 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 come with me. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to connect myself with you. I'm going to give you my life, but we're not going to sit still. we got work to do. And that work is for you and I to become more and more like Jesus and to be less and less like ourselves. Because typically what happens is when you yoke two animals together in the, and when you're doing back to the farming example, you have an experienced animal and then you have a young animal that's just wild and buck and wants to run. That's the whole reason that we need a yoke, right? And so Jesus is saying, I've been given you, I'm giving you the example. What does he say? Learn from me. Learn from me. I've showed you what it looks like to be lowly. I've showed you what it looks like to be humble in heart. I know you want to run and chase and go and do all these things, but I'm telling you the best thing for you is to be tethered with me and to walk towards the Father in holiness. That's what we're called to do as a Christian life. May we never be just, let's go sit in the barn. Let's keep walking. Let's keep moving. We don't need a yoke if we're not moving. We don't need a yoke if we're indifferent. We only need a yoke if we're moving forward. I think this is why we see Paul particularly mentioning this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. Here's what he says. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us, look at this, who are being saved. So many times we want to look at that and take off the being and just say, for those of us who are saved. And what we do is we only put that in a past tense understanding and we go back to the time when we, Jesus revealed himself to us and we did as we've seen here today and we come to him and we repent and we believe and we confess. That is the moment of our salvation. But friends, what does that word being have to do with our walk? It's continual. Doesn't mean you're losing your salvation. 
Again, we affirmed that back then. We said that God said, whoever that the, the, the Jesus brings to me, I will keep and surely have. So we're not losing our salvation. We're not worried about, oh, I've got to do this all over again. I've got to come back. I mean, I think there was good intentions, but I remember like growing up in youth group, and the kicker was if we can just get people to rededicate their lives, then we've done our job. And again, that's just not wrong. I think there's right times where we need to have a moment where we say, God, I have tried to pull away. I need to be back with you. Those are right and good. But the idea is that we are continually walking with him. We're continually moving with him. And is a continual being saved and being saved and being saved. We're kept by the Father. We are kept. We cannot pull ourselves out of his hand. There is assurance and there is rest in that, but it says that he is continually saving us. What does that mean? He's continually making us new and new every morning. And we're walking and walking and being more like him. And the old ways are passed away. And behold, all things start becoming new. We're kept in his hand, but we're being saved. Christian life is a continual walk towards holiness because, again, we become more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. And this is why he says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is that true? Because Jesus carries the burden of our sin. The reason this seems so opposite of what we expect, rest, yet yoke. The reason that seems so opposite is because the kingdom of God many times is called the upside down kingdom. You've heard that term before, the upside down kingdom. Well, what does that mean? Well, practically speaking, again, you don't equate rest with yoke. You normally equate work with putting on the yoke. And think about all the ways that we hear in Scripture of how we are to receive the kingdom of God. The world says you've got to be strong and you've got to be perfect. And you've got to come in. If you're a kingdom wanting to take over the kingdom, you've got to be this conqueror. But Jesus says in order to receive the kingdom, be humble. Be needy. He says, if you want to be first, be last. You think we have to fight for position to be in the kingdom of God. But he says, no, the last will be first. Again, this is why Paul says that he uses foolish things to shame the wise. How can a yoke be easy and a burden be light? It's because of what God has done through the sacrifice of Jesus. JJ, you can come on up. So there's two ways that I want us to end our time together in looking. The first way I've, I've primarily been focused on. So if you're here this morning and, and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, what I would, I would welcome you to do is quit trying to carry the weight of your burden of sin. 
Because if you've been doing this, you know that you are weary. And it's because you were never made to carry this weight. You were never made to carry this shame. You were never made to carry this burden of sin. And Jesus is inviting you this morning to come to him, to lay down your weariness, to lay down your burdens, and take on his yoke, which he says is easy, and his burden is light. For those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, I do want to just show this to us this morning. As we said, there are many who may be walking in here weary and may be walking in here burdened. Notice that he doesn't say the burden will be removed. Do you see that? I'll be honest, I wish it did. I, I, I wish it did. I wish it would just say, you know what, if we, if we follow Jesus, then the burden will be removed. It will one day. It, it will one day. But what this shows us in this passage is that the burden is light. The burden's not gone. We're still going to have to walk through. We're still going to have to deal with and, and, and suffer through burdens. Just like Jesus said he did, expect to be the same for you. got your attention now but it's light what does that mean it means it still hurts it means it still weighs on us it, it means that there are days when we think Jesus I don't believe this is true how am and what I'm walking through how is this light The only way that we will ever truly have rest is to understand that we are kept in his hand and that the sovereign God of the universe is not surprised by the burdens that we're walking through. In fact, he said, I know you may not see it now, but the burdens that you walk through are for your good and for my glory. And that's hard for us to, really, to realize in the moment when those burdens are just slapping us in the face, when they are the first thing we think about when we go to bed and, and the, la the last thing we think about when we go to bed and the first thing we think about when we wake up. But I want you to remember, if you're in Christ, you're not carrying those burdens alone. You are yoked with Jesus. You are yoked with the Son of God who loved you enough that he gave himself for you. So if you're walking through and you feel weary this morning and you feel that the burden is too heavy, lovingly what I want to say is, are you trying to carry that alone? If you're in Christ and you're walking through a burden and it feels weary and it feels heavy, Again, I want to lovingly say to you, 
you're trying to carry too much of the weight. You're trying to, to, to white-knuckle it. You're trying to, to be strong enough to do it on your own. And you've forgotten that you right next to you and tethered to you is the Son of God. And when we live in that reality, his yoke's easy. When we remember that we are not walking through this world alone, and when we are faced with our burdens, we remember, oh, it's light. The burden's still there. We still have to walk through it. But you are tethered and yoked to Jesus this morning. And when we live in that reality, that is when we will truly find our rest.